Taking our Bibles in this morning and turning to John's Gospel in the chapter 14. John's Gospel in the chapter 14. We're beginning our series entitled Heaven is Our Home. And this morning are. And we're praying indeed that the Lord will bless us as we consider this theme of heaven throughout the incoming weeks, just for a brief series, but nevertheless, I trust a profitable one, one that encourages each of our hearts as we come to it time after time. We're taking our reading then from John's Gospel, the chapter 14, beginning at the verse 1, and the Word of God says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Now note here that as we come to this 14th chapter, we're coming to the final, as it were, uh, stage of ministry that the Lord is embarking upon with his disciples. It's in these verses that he's seeking to impart to them all that they will require to encourage their hearts, to comfort their hearts, to lead them on and to lead them forwards as soon will come the time when he is no longer visibly and bodily present with them. And so these truths that we come to consider uh, in this passage this morning, and indeed this theme of heaven is found here. Why? Because it should be kept at the very forefront of our hearts and our minds as we make our way through life. That's why he begins this part by saying, let not your heart be troubled. There's much that comes in life that can trouble all of us, no matter the generation, no matter the time that we live in. No matter the age or the stage that we are in life, yet we all face the common enemy, the common foe of trouble and toil. And so the Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Then he goes on to say, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am in the Father's house, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. We come to a very common passage, a passage no doubt familiar to us all, but nevertheless a passage that's very uh, much entwined within this theme of heaven that we come to consider. You and I will have heard this passage most commonly used around the time of Christian death, whenever a believer has went on to glory. And whenever we as a family who are left behind, whether it be in a church family or indeed the close family, come together to share in those moments of grief. And so in moments like that, the Word of God comes very clearly into our hearts and lives, encouraging us to not just behold all that is happening around us, all that has happened in the death of a loved one, a death of one who is near and dear to us, but to lift our eyes above it all and behold that to which we are all going. For remember, this is spoken to His disciples, to His followers to those who have journeyed with him, to those who have seen it firsthand as ministry here upon this earth. And so, as it's preserved for us, I believe it's clear also to apply it then to the heart of every believer, those who still desire to follow him. 
those who still desire to accomplish his purpose and plan even in this world as he works in them and through them. And so the Word of God is reminding us of that which is before us, this place that is referred to in this passage as being the Father's house. You and I would perhaps more commonly know it as heaven. Now, the word itself, the word heaven, means high and lofty. And so each time that we come to it in Scripture, it has that basic meaning, that basic understanding given to us. What's important then to fix our hearts and minds upon as we consider this doctrine is that we speak of an actual place. It's not some abstract place. It's not just some fairy tale place. It's not some made-up place. It's not some place that we hope to arrive at. It's not some place that we figure we'll understand more when we get there. No, the Word of God has given us some level of understanding about this definite location that we call heaven. Just as London is fixed upon a map, just as Belfast is somewhere you can travel to, just as Lurgan is a place identified in which you find your church home, so too heaven is a place to which one day you will travel as a child of God. Now, the automatic follow-up question that many have whenever we consider this topic is, of course, where is heaven? Where is heaven? I believe it's true to say that the Bible makes it clear that heaven is upward. Heaven is upward. In the book of Acts, in the chapter 1, as we read at the very final moments of the Lord Jesus Christ here on earth, the, the writer Luke begins by saying this, "...the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach." He's referring back to the gospel according to Luke. "...until the day, this day, the day that he was one moment there with his disciples, the next gone to be with his father, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, refer that right back to where we began in John's Gospel in chapter 14, and he says that where I am, this place that he has gone to, up to be with his father, there ye may be also. In Psalm 53, in the verse 2, we're told that God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that to seek after God. In Psalm 121, in the verses 1 and 2, we read, I will lift up mine eyes onto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. We're commanded to lift our eyes up. We want to behold the Lord. If we want to see the Lord, if we want to be encouraged by the Lord, then we're to look up. Why? Because that's the place to which we are going. So the Bible gives very clear indications in, this, in these passages and many more beside that our understanding of the direction of heaven should always be upward. As we come to the Word of God and look therein, we see that there are three mentions of heaven given to us in Scripture. In the very beginning of our Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, in the verse 1, it tells us, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. And then in Isaiah 55, in the verse 10, we read these words, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven. And so we see two mentions of heaven. But these mentions of heaven refer to what you and I describe as being the atmospheric heaven. 
that which we can behold and perceive with our eyes very readily day by day, that from which we get our weather patterns, that which many people try to predict very much largely unsuccessfully. But that's the atmospheric heaven that's being referred to. Genesis 1, Isaiah 55. Another mention of heaven is given to us also in Genesis 1 and the verse 6, where it says, God said, let there be a firmament in the middle of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And this gives us an understanding of what we refer to in theological terms as being the second heaven or the cosmic heaven. This is a universe. This is where the galaxies of the stars are to be found. This is where the sun reigns in the day and the moon in the night. And so we have the atmospheric heaven, that which you and I can readily perceive, that which you and I can see day by day. We have the cosmic heaven, that which we have to put a little bit more time and effort into perceiving, but nevertheless, we all know it to be out there. That's referred to in the Word of God as being the second heaven, the cosmic heaven. But we come to then what you and I know to be the third heaven. And that's mentioned in 2 Corinthians in the chapter 12 and the verse 2, where Paul writing says, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, such an one caught up to the third heaven. Or perhaps the writer of the Hebrews had this thought in mind as Paul penned in 2 Corinthians in the chapter 12, when he wrote in Hebrews chapter 9 in the verse 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so we have the atmospheric heaven, we have the cosmic heaven, but here we have a mention of the third heaven. This is the place that our study is focused upon. This is what we want to gain an understanding more of and indeed encourage and rejoice our hearts more in as we delve into it over a number of weeks and behold all that is prepared for us, all that God has himself prepared for us there in the third heaven, the dwelling place of the glory of God. Sir Michael Faraday was a Christian scientist. One time, close to the end of his life, whenever many knew that he was dying and wanted to gain a little audience with him, just to spend a little time with him and gain information from him about his life and about his work, well, one day a journalist came before him and asked him the question if he would like to speculate as to life after death. Speculate, said Sir Michael Faraday. I know nothing about speculations about life after death, I only know about certainties. I know where I'm going. I know what and who I'll be seeing. Sir Michael Faraday had a clear understanding of heaven, the place where the presence of the glory of God is known. You see, this morning, heaven is a place to which we are traveling. But heaven is given to us in Scripture to remind us of that place and to encourage our hearts and rejoice our hearts that throughout all the midst of the trials and toils of life that there is that which is far better still to come. So for a few moments this morning, we fix our minds not upon the atmospheric heaven, not upon the cosmic heaven, but upon the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. That brings us then to the understanding that heaven, first of all, is the very abode of God. It is the abode of God. Heaven is a place of unparalleled blessing and joy. 
a new order in a community of holiness and purity, a fellowship of harmony with God and with Jesus Christ. And remember how the hymn writer put it, oh, that will be heaven, will be heaven for me. Why? Because if it was not for viewing the Lord Jesus Christ or viewing God himself without God, without Christ, it would be no heaven at all. Today, heaven is the place where he rules over his creation. Heaven is the place where he hears the prayers of his people. Heaven is the place where he accepts the praise and worship of his earthly subjects and his heavenly attendants. Heaven is the abode of God. Not only is heaven the abode of God, but heaven is the home of the redeemed. The Bible tells us there in John's Gospel in the chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And here we have this understanding that heaven is a prepared place, prepared by God himself, but it's for a prepared people. Remember, he's not speaking to a large gathering in which there could be found any type of individual. No, he's speaking very specifically to those whom he has called, to those whom he has chosen, and to those who will in days to come be commissioned with the continuation of his ministry here on earth. He's speaking to those that in hours to come he would give his life for, and Calvary's cross he would shed his blood for, that he would enter into that loving covenantal relationship as we dwelt upon on Tuesday evening past with those who know what it is to be blood-bought, those who know what it is to follow after him, because freed from their sin and shame, they've set their feet upon the rock, the rock Christ Jesus the one who has established their going, the one who has put a new song in their mouth, the one who has transformed them beyond all recognition, the one who has redeemed them by his own precious blood. That's where they're going. And that's where heaven, that's what heaven is. It's the home of the redeemed. It's a place where his saints dwell, a place prepared for those who know and love him. Now for you and I this morning, as we contemplate that truth, does it not mean that we look forward to meeting our spiritual heroes? We look forward to meeting David. Look forward to meeting Paul, Andrew, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We look forward to meeting Spurgeon. We look forward to meeting Moody, Jim Elliot, David Brainard, John Bunyan. We look forward to, those, to meeting those slain by Boko Haram in Nigeria, butchered by Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan are persecuted uh, for their, and tortured for their faith in China, are crucified in India or Pakistan. It means we look forward to meeting Sunday school teachers and evangelists, those who give us tracts in days gone by, those who were faithful in praying for us, those who were faithful in discipling us in the faith. We look forward to seeing husbands, wives, mothers and fathers, Brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, friends who have all died in the Lord and who have gone on before. Many there are who ask, shall we know one another in heaven? And the answer can't be a definite one. But from my reading of Scripture, I believe it to be so. And 2 Samuel in the chapter 12 and the verse 23, whenever that young child who was the offspring of his illegitimate relationship with Bathsheba was born and then passed away, David said of that child, I will go to him. 
testifying not of an abstract spiritual being or of an abstract spiritual home, but speaking of a definite location and an identifiable person in that identifiable place. So it's a home of the redeemed. Surely now as you sit there, there is upon your heart and upon your mind those who you long to meet, those who have went on before and found their place in the home of the redeemed. But heaven is the abode of God. Heaven is the home of the redeemed. Heaven is the dwelling place of the holy angels. Scripture commonly referred to in recent times, as we've noted, of course, the passing away of the monarch is Isaiah in the chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. But you'll know as well as I do that as that chapter continues, it mentions the cherubims, it mentions the seraphims, it mentions those who have that holy responsibility there in the very presence of God. That's where they're found. They're found in heaven. And so as we enter into heaven, we shall behold those who are charged with the guarding of the purity and of the majesty and the holiness of our God. Those who are ascribed even with that honor of raising the praise and the worship to our God. Those who are noted in Scripture as being Michael the archangel or Gabriel the messenger, numbered amongst their company. Heaven is the place where the holy angels dwell. You know, as we come to consider heaven, as we come to consider death in our British culture and our Northern Irish customs, Many times we view it as a solemn time, a time of reflection, a time whenever we say one to another, especially when a believer dies, well, they've died in the Lord, they've gone on before us, or they have departed. But you know, our culture, our customs stand in stark contrast to many other cultures and customs around the world, and specifically when it comes to many African tribes and nations especially those African nations that are noted for their joyful disposition, for their heartwarming music and the cultures that all intertwine one into another. Their culture many times can be marked by singing, by dancing, by beaming smiles on a daily basis. But nevertheless, when it comes to death in such cultures, I'm reliably told that amongst some of these African tribes who have known a movement of the Lord amongst them, that death is greeted with a celebration not because of the death of that loved one or friend, but rather because of the truth that their death communicates. For the African people do not use the same phrases that we do, do not seek to offer words of comfort in a great time of sorrow. Rather, when a fellow believer dies within their tribe or in the surrounding area, they triumphantly and joyfully proclaim, they have arrived. That's what it means to be in heaven. Arrived where? Arrived in that place where the imperfections of life and the imperfections of this world are missing. A place where no tears are shed, no tragedy is known, no disappointment is experienced, no pain, no illness, no suffering, no death. No more empty chairs, no more empty beds. A place where there's no night. A place where there's no defilement, no curse, no sin. A place, remember, of unparalleled joy and everlasting blessing. 
That's where the believer has arrived. We notice also that heaven is a place of unimaginable beauty and unending delight. The Queen of Sheba, she came to behold the great kingdom that Solomon had established and prospered over. She said, the half has not yet been told. And how true, whenever we come to remark upon that same truth when it comes to the matter of heaven. There in heaven will be told the other half. There in heaven we will understand perfectly that which confuses us and disturbs us here on earth right now. There we shall behold the glory of God. There we shall behold the beauty of Christ. There we shall understand the full extent of the plan of redemption, the great cost of Calvary, the mystery of salvation. There we shall behold the consummation of God's purpose and plan in our world and in our lives. That's where we're headed. That's where we're going. That place that some call heaven, some call paradise, some call glory, here in our passage referred to as the Father's house. But I submit to you, I just call it home. You see, this world is not our home. It's not my home and it's not yours. We're just passing through. And so today we consider heaven a popular theme to consider, a popular truth to preach upon. I mean, who wouldn't want to go to heaven? Who wouldn't want to find their place amongst the company of the great redeemed throng above, standing before the Lamb, crying, I art worthy? But remembering all that has been given to us so that we and the Word of God has been given to us so that we might be properly instructed in righteousness. I ask you the question this morning, that dwelling upon heaven and these truths that we have mentioned just in passing today, how does the truth of heaven, how does the theme in heaven, how does it impact upon your life? How does it affect your motives for living and for service? How does it align even your motives with that which is pure and wholesome? Could it be said that heaven is not in our minds as much as it should be? Could it be said that we neglect to allow heaven to guide us aright as it should? As a people of God, are we guilty of being too consumed with this world? Too comfortable in this world? Too craving of the things of this world? Colossians in the chapter 3, Paul writes to the church there in Colossae and says, If ye then be risen with Christ, that is, if ye be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, professing your faith and trust in Him, seeking to walk aright for Him in this world, he says, then you should seek those things which are above. Which Christ, or where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 
Paul here is reminding us, one and all, is he not, that the most important things are unseen. It is but further confirmation of that which he refers to in the book of Corinthians when he reminds us that we walk by faith, not by sight. But yet how easy is it all for us to allow that which is temporal, that which is of little worth and value, to suck our energy, to hold our affection, and to distract us from holding on to and pursuing after that which is good. Did you know that a penny, the most worthless of coins you can hold in a wallet, amongst even the very smallest of coins that you can hold in a wallet, a penny if held in the right place at the right time, can block the entire light of the sun from reaching your eye. Is that not a perfect picture of how we allow that which is worthless? That which is of little value, little cost in this world, to distract us and to keep us from having our eyes fixed on God. So here this morning, I encourage you to be heavenly minded. Let the truth of heaven, the testimony of heaven, the very thought of heaven captivate your heart and mind this morning. Surely we should live our lives as we dwell here upon earth thinking of heaven as a child does about Christmas morning. How that here we are, 98 days from the big day, their anticipation will start to build and build. How there will be even that desire for that day to come, the closer that it gets. How upon that day, the short distance from the bedroom to the living room seems excruciatingly long. How the very thought of all that awaits on Christmas morning fills her heart with joy and glee. Is that not how we should live when it comes to heaven? Longing for home. Filled with joy. Filled with uh, uh, even that which thrills us to our very core. Of all that we shall behold as we enter into that prepared place. Well, this morning we have ahead of us something greater than all the Christmas mornings of life ruled together. Because the Bible reminds us that I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love him. And so, dear believer, whether you're cast down in the deepest, darkest valley this morning, or whether you're here and on the mountaintop, one and all, whenever we consider heaven, we should rejoice because our names are written in heaven. And one day, perhaps sooner than any of us think, one day we shall all be home. May God bless his word to our hearts today. And as we close, we're going to sing together the words of a great hymn that reminds us even of that place, that place called heaven.
sing the wondrous love of Jesus. And let's stand to our feet to praise together, please. Father, we rejoice in all that thy word reminds us of as being laid up for us even there in the glories above. We're thankful, Father, that thou hast even called us by name and thou hast even written that name in the very book, the Lamb's Book of Life. And as we come to thee today, we come as the one of thy redeemed, one who shall be with thee throughout all eternity. And we rejoice that that is a truth that so many of us can share in today. Lord, even for those who are yet to come to that knowledge of Thee and salvation, we pray today would be the day that their hearts are truly lifted up, their hearts, O Lord, are spoken to in that very clear way, and Thou dost set them free even from the chains of sin which bind. So, O Lord, prepare us all for that day. 
Help us all to know that our hearts are right with thee upon the day that thou dost come. Once more to claim even thy bride to be with thyself. But until that day, keep us faithful and help us to be encouraged, even in the truth of thy word and for all that that means to us. But depart us now with thy blessing. Help us, O Lord, to hold fast to thy word and to all that is revealed therein. Bless our time around the table in just a few moments. We pray that all is said and done will bring glory and honor to thee. We pray for those who leave us, take them to their homes in safety. Help us all to rejoice in the goodness and the love of our God. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.